This is a teaching message from Church of the Living Water of Austin. Amen. So, like I said, um, this is going to be the conclusion of the teaching that I've been doing for a few weeks now. Uh, which is restoring the relationship, God's redemption plan for man. So go ahead. We've been looking at John 3 and 16. So the objective of this teaching is to provide a clear understanding of what God has done for us and what it means to believe the gospel message so that we can have the acceptable initial and ongoing response to God. So what, what I told you we we're going to do in this teaching is we're going to break down John 3, 16 through 21. So let's go ahead and read that. So uh, verse 16, John 3, 16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. So I'm just going to stop right there for a minute. So for God so loved. So God loved, so he gave. He gave his only begotten son. That whosoever, and that means every man, every woman, every child, every person, it, it excludes no one. It includes everyone from all time. So whosoever believeth in him should not perish. So the whosoever are those that believe. So he sent it for all mankind, but then the, 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 there's a filter. So you've got all of mankind right here throughout all the time. And then it's a filter for the whosoever. So it filters out the whosoever are those that believe or believe that. And last week we talked about what believeth meant. We said the word believe, which is a verb, means think to be true, implying trust, believe to the extent of complete trust, embrace fully in my heart. So believeth has that meaning, but it emphasized initial, initial and continual belief. It's ongoing trust. When we look at this scripture that we're looking at, when we talk about whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life, we're looking at something that's just not about what's going on in our temporal lives today, but it is expands. It goes beyond this time period. It is forever. It is eternal. When we look at this, we see in verse 16 that God extends an offer. He extends the offer of salvation. It's up to man to accept or reject that offer. The most important thing that you will do in your life is respond to the gospel message. Your response is totally up to you. It's nobody else's responsibility. You can't do it for somebody else and somebody else can't do it for you. The gospel message will come to you. It will be offered. The offer of salvation will come to you. And then you are to respond to it. So I want you to write this down. And this kind of is a synopsis of, of this whole teaching. God is God. He's not going to change. Jesus is Jesus. He's not going to change. What God has done for man through Jesus Christ is not going to change. The way to accept God's gift is not going to change. So I'm going to read that again. God is God. He is not going to change. Jesus is Jesus. He is not going to change. What God has done for man through Jesus Christ is not going to change. 
the way to accept God's gift is not going to change. And guess what else is not going to change? Sin is not going to change. Sin is sin. It is sin. It was sin when it, when it became sin and it's from the beginning of time and it's sin now. So you can't go ahead, well, God doesn't believe that this is sin. No. If it's sin, it's sin. So sin is not going to change. So, why did I say all that? Because there's one thing that will change. And that's man. The variable in this equation is man. The variable is you. When you write in your notes, say, the variable is me. The reason I will perish is because of the choice I made or the reason that I will have eternal life is because of the choice that I made. So, the thing about it is, God, in, in His great love, He sent Jesus for us even when we couldn't do anything for ourselves. When we had no goodness, when we had no strength, when anything and anybody else would have counted us out, He sent Jesus for us. And Jesus had no sin. He didn't have to come. He was not in trouble. But He came so that we could be redeemed. So, with that, He's the sacrifice for our sins. So we are to believe according to what God has laid out for us. But we saw in in the teachings we brought out that there are some things that keep us from believing what God has told us. Sometimes we take our own wisdom and our own thoughts and our own ways of doing things, our own traditions, and we worship those. Or we put that above God's word. We worship the creature more than we worship the creator. Or excuse me, let me say that right. We worship the creature when we should be worshiping the creator. So we can't take man's wisdom and put it in a place where God's wisdom should be. So I can't replace the standard of God and then put the standard of man there. Like I said earlier, sin is sin. I can't say, well, I want this not to be a sin, so I'm going to make that. No, it is what it is. I can't think that darkness is light. I can't think that what I'm doing is right if it's wrong. If that's the case, then how can I ever be right? I'll always be in darkness. So we looked at, we said there are some thoughts, some attitudes, mindsets, beliefs, and ideas that are anti-Christ. They're not of Christ. They're not of God. That's what that means, that word anti-Christ. Just not of God. So that's been built up and it's been ingrained strategically over time and it's been put in just little by little, bit by bit, and now you've got these things built up in your mind that are not of God. And when the Word of God or the light of God comes into your life, you want those things to stand when God is saying, no, let my Word in, let my truth in. So we can't exalt the opinions of men, even if that person is ourselves, we can't exalt that over the truth of God. We have to submit our thoughts, our emotions, our actions to God's word, not our own opinions. So anytime we allow anything else to have the place where God should be in our lives, that's when it's trouble. That's when everything gets out of whack. Our worship, the highest place in our life, belongs to God and God alone. So we looked at it and we said we have to have the proper perspective of God. We can't think that God is a man. Even though we may use man, terms that we use to describe ourselves, we cannot think that those terms fully encompass who God is. God is greater than we could ever imagine. So we can't think that he's a man. We can't even think that he has the frailties of man. He's not, he's, he's not man. He, he's not apt to get you. He doesn't have to do those things like men. He, he, never, he doesn't have those frailties. 
So all of God is good. All of God is love. He's not seeking any retribution. His ways are not our ways. Our ways are not his ways. He's not a man. He's not a respecter of person. He doesn't like one group more than another group. He doesn't prefer one group and say, oh, well, this group gets a special way to salvation and this group gets another way. This group has to do all these things and this group only has to do this. That's not God. There's one way to God and that is through Jesus Christ. God is not going to turn away anybody that seeks him. He's not going to do that. No matter what, no matter what you have done, God is saying, if you repent, I will accept that repentance. I can trust God. What does it mean to trust? It means to believe to the point of reliance or dependence upon, dependence upon. So I can depend, I can rely on God. Now the thing about it is I have to know, I have to understand who God truly is to be trusting in the right things. Because if we have the wrong perspective of God, if what we believe or who we believe God is is wrong, then what we're trusting in is wrong. So we have to get our minds right. We have to make sure that we understand that God's not going to disappoint us. We can't, once again, he's not a man. So we can't let the unfaithfulness of men. And the thing about it is men, we are frail. We make mistakes. Even if we don't want to make mistakes, we make mistakes sometimes. Sometimes we do things that just aren't right. Sometimes we say things that may hurt somebody's feelings, and we didn't even know it would hurt their feelings. But that's man. But God, that's not how God is. God is not like that. So we cannot take God at what man is. He's greater. God is looking out for your best interest. Sometimes I know you're like, well, God, I don't see how it's going to happen. You don't have to see how it's going to happen. That's when you just trust God. He's not going to let you down. Believe that he's going to keep his word. If you have any unmet expectations of God, that's because you had the wrong belief. You had the wrong trust. The thing about it, you'll say, well, I'm trusting God and I believe it and I've seen it in his word. But what you're doing is now you're putting a timetable on God. And God said, I didn't give you that timetable. What what did I tell you to do? All I did was tell you to trust. And when it's time for it to come, remember, we talked about it. God transcends time. So what seems like a long time to us, God is like, what are you talking about? That's not even how it looks to him. So you may say, well, God, I'm trusting you for this, and I see it in your word, but you're trusting him for this in this span of time. And God said, I never told you that. So you have to get your mind right, because God is not going to let you down. So we have to align our perspective of God with who he is. So God reveals himself to us through his word. So what we have to do is there have been things that we believe that are wrong about God, about how he, who he is, how he moves, what he does, his purpose. So what we have to do is we have to take those wrong thoughts out. First of all, we have to recognize that they're wrong. That's what's about hearing the word, the truth. When the light comes in, you recognize that they're wrong. You take that wrong thought out, and then you put the right thought in. So we have to replace it with who God really is. So we looked at some characteristics of God. And we said, he's Lord of all power and might. He's Lord of heaven and earth. He's the ruler of the world, the absolute monarch of this universe. He's omnipotent, omnipresent, 
omniscient. He knows. He's everywhere at all times. He has unlimited power. He is the Most High God. He's the highest. His power, mercy, and sovereignty cannot be matched. He is above everything and everyone. He's the everlasting God. I mentioned it earlier. Time means nothing to Him. He's the God of eternity without beginning. The God who will never cease to be. He will never grow old. He's the God to whom eternity is what present time is. He is self-existent and uncreated. He created time and space. So he, therefore he transcends that time. There's no time that he wasn't God. And he's not time, uh, bound by time. He's the God of covenant. He keeps his promises. We can depend on God because of his unchanging character. He said it. In Hebrews he said, because I could swear by no greater, I swore by myself. So God, because he's bound himself to his word by swearing by his own nature and his integrity, there's no need to fear that any of the promises he's ever made to his people will fail. We, God is a God of covenant, so we can trust him. He's a faithful God. He is, can be trusted. He's reliable. He's going to do what he said he's going to do. His faithfulness is not dependent on anyone or any circumstance. Even when I am unfaithful, God is still faithful. Even when you are unfaithful, God is still faithful. So we don't have to worry about God being faithful because he is faithful. He's merciful. And when you think about mercies, we, we say that his mercies are new every morning. That means he sees that we're going to have a need. Actually, he assumes. He knows, okay, they're going to need, have a need tomorrow. And you know what? I have what I have enough to cover that need. And the thing about it is sometimes we'll see somebody will have a need as a person. You'll see that somebody has a need or you'll assume maybe they need something. And you have what they, they need to meet that need. You, you have the supply to meet that need. But you don't act. Mercy, what God does is he sees the need, he has enough to cover the need, and he acts towards that need. So he is merciful towards us. He wants to make sure we have what we need. He's the God of all comfort. He's the God of all peace. So when we need comfort, he gives us comfort. That's where we get our comfort from. Not only does he comfort us, but he gives us enough comfort to comfort other people. So I have to take these things, and there's so much more about God. But I have to understand God is who he says he is, not who I want him to be, who other people have told me he is, who I think he is. And I have to reconcile that God is who he, who he is. And then I have to make that my thought. So God wants to be intimate with each and every one of us, individually. As he reveals himself to you, that's when he's going to reveal himself to you. Like as you hear the teaching, God is saying some things to you, but he wants to spend some more time to give you more understanding of what he's saying to you. That's what he wants you to pull away. He wants you to spend some time with him, some quality time, and let him reveal himself to you. So when he reveals himself to you, meditate on what he's revealed to you, not what you want him to be. Not what you thought he was. Oh, God, I thought you were going to give me a house. And God said, wait a minute, I'm going to give you comfort. 
So when you're meditating, don't meditate on God give me a house, the God that gives me a house. Give, meditate on the God that gives me comfort. So God, who is all power, powerful, he transcends time and space, and it's self-existing, has provided redemption through Jesus Christ for those who believe. Salvation only comes through Jesus Christ. Remember I told you, God's not going to ch- change. Jesus is not going to change. The way to God through Jesus Christ is not going to change. So these things, those things when I was talking about how, who God is and what he is, his characteristics, hold on to those because we're going to, you're going to use them later on. Because the thing about it is you can get the word, but until you can apply the word in your life, until you can apply God being faithful in your life and have it cause you to do an action, then all you're doing is hearing a good word. God being faithful, God being merciful, Him being the God of all comfort, transcending time, being the God most high, all of those things, once you understand those things, should cause you to do something. There should be some action. So later on when we get into the teaching, we're going to talk about how how we apply those things in our lives, how we live our lives with that information. So salvation only comes by Jesus Christ. There's no one that God can't save. There's no one that God doesn't want to save. Why, why would he want to, if, if he, for all, all of the stuff that you've been hearing, all that kind of stuff? No, God wants to save everyone. And the only reason people aren't saved is that they don't accept the gospel. Point blank, that's it. When God sent Jesus, he sent Jesus to redeem us, to save us, not to condemn us. Jesus condemned sin. But... When Jesus came, Jesus is the light. So it brought the light. The light brings reproof or it reproves, which is conviction. And we talked about that there is a difference between conviction and condemnation. We were saying that conviction occurs when light comes into darkness. Conviction is the result of seeing that you don't meet the standard. But conviction should produce repentance. So when your wrong is exposed, doesn't mean you're condemned. It just gives you the opportunity to repent. Gives you the opportunity to get it right. So God is light. And when God comes in, you can't separate the light. You can't say, I only want this beam of light and that beam of light. You have to take it off. What, am I, what do I mean by that? that can't, I can't say, God, I accept your gospel, but I don't want to change. you got to do it all. When the light comes in, When the conviction comes in, conviction means that there's hope, that you have a chance to get it right. It's not the end. Conviction should lead to repentance. When the light comes in, though, we start seeing things that maybe we didn't see in the dark, that were not clear to us. And we're like, whoa, I didn't know it was there. The light didn't create those things. The light just showed you those things. Those things were already there. And now you see them and you're like, oh, I don't really like that. But don't shut out the light because you don't like what you're seeing. But remember, the light is there so you can have conviction and you can repent. Repentance means you're changing. Believers should not refuse conviction. So last week we looked at the rich young ruler. And we saw that he went to Jesus and he was talking to Jesus. And Jesus came back with it. And I like the way Jesus did it. He said, he gave him like this kind of general overall. What do I need to do to uh, gain eternal life? And Jesus said, 
here are the commandments. He said, oh, I did, the rich young ruler said, I do all of those. And then Jesus said, well, let's get this a little bit more personal. Because you know uh, salvation is personal. We talked about only you can, can accept salvation. So Jesus got personal with him. And he asked him, he said, okay, can you do this? Can you give up all you have? Can you sell all you have, give to the poor, and follow me? And the rich young ruler, he couldn't do it. But what happened is the light came in and he was convicted. And when that conviction came, he was like, wait a minute, I don't meet the standard. Now when conviction comes, once again, we don't run away from conviction. We press forward, we repent. We look at that and we see that the rich young ruler, he treasured the possessions that he had more than he treasured his relationship with God. So he went away convicted but not condemned because he still had a chance to repent. When we saw that the standard wasn't any different for the rich young ruler than it was for, for Jesus' disciples because Peter said some stuff there. So Jesus explained some things and he, he let Peter know, when you follow me, Jesus said, when you follow me, I'm not going to leave you unfulfilled. I'm going to give you what you need. There's nothing that we can do to earn eternal life. Anything that we do, it always falls short. When we see that we've fallen short, it brings that shame. So, so when you think about the rich young ruler, he went away sad or sorrowful is what they said. He had shame. So what we have to understand is that Jesus was sent by God to do away with that shame. Sin causes shame. So when Jesus came and he dealt with sin, he dealt with our shame. So when you accept what Jesus has done for you and understand that, that hey, that shame can be put away, you don't have to stay in shame. So once you accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you don't have to stay in that shame. And we know sometimes when you're shameful, you want to hide those things that you've been doing. You want to push them to the side. You don't want anybody to see them. And you end up making excuses. You end up avoiding people. You're lying. You're doing all these things to cover that shame. Guess what? When you accept Jesus, you don't have to do that anymore. Because he's dealt with that shame. You can simplify your life. You think about all the energy that you're putting forth trying to cover that shame. And God is like, I got, I got that. I covered that through Jesus Christ. You can, your life can be much more peaceful because you can let go of all those excuses and all the blame game that you've been having in your life because you're trying to cover what you're embarrassed of. So when you're confronted with the truth and the light shines in, you cannot say that the word brought confusion into your life. So this is kind of where we ended up last week. We were saying that when the light comes in, once again, it brings, it gives you a insight. It shows you those things that had just been covered in the darkness. It did not create those things. When the light comes in, you will see some things that you didn't know were there. But you can't say that that brought confusion because God is not the author of confusion. If you are confused, wherever there's confusion in your life, that means that you're disobeying. Last week I said it this way. There's an absence of hearing, understanding, doing, and conforming to God's word. Basically that's disobedience. So in this instance what I'm talking about is confusion is there's disorder. There's chaos. 
there's a noisy head. It's all these things coming in, and you're like, oh, I don't know what to do. And it's not that you don't necessarily know what to do. It's not that you're you're not putting priority on the right thing. It means that you have some competing thoughts or ideas or principles, and you've left that unsettled. The information, the, the knowledge is there for you, but you just have other things that you think are just as important or just as prioritized as, that, as the Word of God. You have to renew your mind. You have to get those things out. You have to get rid of that cluttered, noisy head and hear and understand the Word of God. To deal with confusion... Here's a word, fast. Get rid of things in your life. When you fast, that means you take off some things. You, you, you probably, if you're confused, you do need to fast food, but then you need to, and not fast food like McDonald's, but fast the food. But you also probably need to fast some activities in your life. That means cut them out, don't do them. So, you got a lot of confusion. Maybe you do need to fast social media. Maybe you do need to fast television. Maybe you need to fast your telephone, your email, your instant message, whatever. Because there may be some people that you need to break from. That you don't need to hear what they're saying. You just need to hear God. Because that confusion is not of God. But God is giving you the word that you need. You just have to make sure you prioritize it and that you're making every effort to hear that word. We said confusion is not the same as disagreement or maybe not understanding everything completely. So when we said understanding or incomplete understanding, what that is is I'm still in agreement with the Word of God. I'm going to do the Word of God. I agree with you, God. I'm acting on that. But there are some things that just may be a little unclear to me. And that's fine because we don't have the whole picture. God doesn't give us all the details. But what we do is we obey God and we keep pressing and he will clear things up. So that's not confusion just because you don't maybe understand something. You hear something taught and maybe there's something that was said and you don't quite understand it. Guess what? Keep pressing. Keep reading. Keep studying. Keep coming and listening to the live stream. And once we can come back in, come back in and hear the word and those things you'll understand. But you still have to obey. When you have incomplete understanding, you will still obey. You just need some things clarified. Now, on the other hand, there's disagreement. Now, disagreement means I don't agree with what's being said. Doesn't mean I'm confused. Doesn't necessarily mean I don't understand. It just means I'm not going to do it. I refuse to accept what you're saying. Disagreement can come in a lot of forms. It can be because I disagree, so I'm not even going to put forth the effort to hear the Word of God, to study, to get anything about God, because I disagree with that. Disagreement means I have a different opinion that I base my actions on. So what are some um, actions associated with disagreement? And we went over this last week. It says, I'll give it a try, but I doubt it'll work, right? I'll, I'll give it a try. So really what that is, is that's just empty words. I'm just going to maybe do a little bit. I'll say I tried it, and uh, but I'm just, I don't believe it's going to work. So you're really not trying it. You're just telling people that you're trying it. I'll do a little bit of it. I think, I think our pastor was talking about this. I'll tie this month, but if I don't see something, 
then next month I'm not going to tithe. So you're just going to do a little bit, but I don't really think it's going to work. Then you have those who disagree, but they don't want to be just out and out disagree. They do a little passive-aggressive thing. So they have all these questions. Well, what about this? Well, what do you think about this? And they ask you all these outlandish questions. And I think I used the example. We're talking about salvation. They start talking about um, the end times. We're like, okay, well, salvation plays into that, but we need to focus on where we are. But what they're trying to do is they're trying to throw you off or throw people off so they don't see the disagreement. Which brings the next thing that we said, disagreement, um, the actions of disagreement, is that red herring. They try to shift the attention. So I'm really talking about this. You're talking about this. I don't want people to know that I'm disagreeing with you. So I'll just talk about this. I'll get you off the subject and hopefully you don't notice I'm disagreeing. And then they focus on the person or the ministry that the word is coming from. They say, well, I got a problem with, I got a problem with women pastors. I got a problem with women teachers. I got a problem with people who don't have a, a, a church that's like a traditional building. They'll bring up all of those things. But really what they're saying is, I, dis, I disagree. I want to disobey. I want to stay in sin. But I don't want to tell you that's what I want to do. So I'm going to give you all these other things. And they may not even say these things, but they'll act that way. And the great thing about the Word of God is that when the light comes in and that conviction comes in, guess what? Even if you said or done these things, God is saying, guess what? You can repent. You can repent. But in order to repent, you have to see the need to change. As long as you can make an excuse for why you are where you are, then you're never going to change. Let me tell you, and we have a saying here, an excuse is a lie you tell yourself. If you have an excuse for anything pertaining to the Word of God, why you cannot obey, that means you don't want to obey. You need to look for reasons to obey, not reasons not to obey. Let's go over to John chapter, oh yeah, John chapter 3, we're going to look at verse 21. So tonight we're finishing up, so we're on the last verse of this, um, this passage here. So it says, John 3 verse 21, But he that doeth truth cometh to the light, that his deeds may be made manifest, that they are wrought in God. So looking at this, I was reading it and I said, He that doeth truth? How can you do truth? We're going to talk about how we can do truth. But that he that doeth truth cometh to the light. So, instead of running away from the light and trying to stay in darkness, the person who doeth truth comes to the light. That his deeds, back in verse 21 here, that his deeds may be made manifest that they are wrought in God. So I was looking through this and I said, well, rot in God. So we don't really use the word rot in our vernacular today. So I, I looked it up just to make sure. That word rot, rot is, it means done with God's help and dependence on him. So he that doeth truth cometh to the light that his deeds may be made manifest that they are done with God's help and dependent on him. So, how do you get from one who wants to stay in darkness, who doesn't want their works reproved, or who's running from the light, to someone who's coming to the light, who wants to do the truth? 
First of all, I have to repent. Go over to Second um, Peter chapter 3. So, I've been saying repent a lot throughout this teaching. So we're going to spend a little time talking about repentance. God wants all men to repent. But repentance is your choice. So, if I stay in darkness, I'm not repenting. If I turn to the light, then I'm repenting. So let's look at um, verse um, chapter, excuse me, Second Peter chapter three, verse nine. The Lord is not slack concerning His promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. So, when this scripture is saying, "Look." God's not waiting around because he doesn't have the power to do what he needs to do. He can handle what he needs to handle. Don't worry about that. But the reason that things are going the way they're going is because God is long-suffering towards us. He's giving us time to repent. That's why the time is, uh, is what it is. It's because he wants all men to come to repentance. And he's giving us all that chance. So what does it mean to repent? So does repentance just mean to say, well, I'm sorry that I did that, you know, okay, and go on and just keep doing it again? No, that's not what it means. Repentance or to repent means to change one's mind or purpose. It's a change in mind resulting in a change in behavior. We'll read that again. Repentance is to change one's mind or purpose. It is a change in mind resulting in a change in behavior. Repentance is a willingness to change. True repentance is never forced. It is a deliberate change of mind resulting in a change of direction in thought and behavior. So repentance is deliberate. It's not something you're going to look up on. You're not going to just be walking around one day and say, oh, I repented. No. It's purpose. You have to repent on purpose. You have to make the change. So we, I keep talking about darkness and light, and we're, we're contrasting the two. So repentance means I am walking in darkness. I am walking, okay, so I'm walking this way. This way is darkness. I'm not going to get off the camera, I promise. I'm walking towards darkness. So now I'm like, wait. The light comes in and I'm like, oh, wait, that's darkness that way. When I repent, I turn around and I don't stay right here. I start walking towards the light. I start walking towards God. That's repentance. I make a change. I go from what I once was, which was someone who was walking in darkness, after my own flesh, doing my own thing, and I turn towards God, and I walk towards Him, and I depend on Him. Now, repentance, like I said, is just not saying you're sorry. It's just not, oh, I'm sorry, and not having a change in your heart. Repentance starts in the heart. True repentance is never just words. You can say, oh, I'm sorry, and you can know, I know this one person, um, she had this boss, and she was not a good boss. The boss was horrible. And she did something that was just, like, outrageous to, to, to my friend. 
And then the next day she sent her flowers. And then the next week she did the same crazy stuff again. That's not The flowers, that's not repentance. That's just, I, I felt a little bad about it. Repentance is, wait a minute, that was wrong. I don't need to do that anymore. My behavior change. It starts in the heart. It's never just words. You may have words as the fruit of repentance, but it's never going to be all, words are not going to be hollow. They're not going to be shallow. It's not going to be, you know, somebody comes by every day and they hit you. And then they say, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to do that. And then the next day they come by and they hit you. And you're like, well, did they mean to? Maybe they said they were sorry last time. And you're like, well, okay. Then they hit you the next day. And the next day, they didn't repent. They're just saying they're sorry to save face. When we repent, it starts in our heart. There's that conviction, that standard. God shows us, wait a minute, where you are right now is not where you need to be. So what I need you to do, repentance, God grants repentance. When you repent, you repent to God, not to man. You may apologize to man. You, there may be some retribution that you have to do. There may be some things that you have to do for men because you, because you like, like, you know, you hit somebody all the time. You broke their, you hit them and then you broke their glasses or something. You may have to pay for their glasses. That's different. But your repentance is between you and God. Because when you sin, you sin against God. So when you repent, you repent to God. Go over to Matthew chapter 23. So our repentance, it starts in the heart, but what is in our hearts will work itself outward. We can't think that we can have a bad heart, that we can have, when I say a heart, our thoughts, our minds, our beliefs, our emotions. We can't have those things. Um, we can't worship ourselves with our heart. We can't let, we can't bow down to what we want. We have to be bowing down to God. Our heart has to be towards God. That's what that means. It means towards the will of God. I'm looking to please God. So in Matthew chapter 23, remember, repentance starts in the heart. We're going to look at verses 23 through 27. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for ye pay tithes of mint and anise and cumin and have omitted weightier matters of the law judgment mercy and faith these ought ye to have done and not to leave the other undone so what was happening here the scribes and pharisees they were doing little things they were down to legal down to the smallest things but in their heart they 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 weren't following what they should have been following and Jesus told them, it's not that you shouldn't have been doing those other things, but you should have been doing it all. Verse 24 says, Ye blind guides, which strain at a gnat and swallow a camel. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, for ye make the outside of the cup and of the platter, excuse me, for ye make clean the outside of the cup and of the platter, but within they are full of extortion and excess. Thou blind Pharisee, cleanse first that which is within the cup and platter, that the outside of them may be clean also. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For ye are like whited sepulchres, which indeed appear beautiful outward, but are within full of dead men's bones and of all uncleanness. 
Even so, ye also outwardly appear righteous unto men, but within ye are full of hypocrisy and iniquity. So, with that said, when you look at that, you're like, man, that's messed up. That, you're like, ooh, that, that what's, what's the one? Every time I read it, I get a little nervous about it. Like, wow, God. There, verse 27. Whited sepulchers, which indeed appear beautiful outward, but are full of, of dead men's bones and all uncleanness. And you're like, wow, it looks beautiful on the outside, but on the inside, it is dirty and nasty, and you just don't want, it, it, it's nothing good there. So our internal has to match our external. We can put on a good face. You can, like, you can tithe the mint and the anise and cumin, but in your heart, have you given God your heart? Are you just doing it out of your tradition? So go back to what we talked about earlier. That is, when you're just doing it out of your tradition, you're worshiping the creature, not the creator. All of this ties in. I told you those things, not that they would sound good, but so you could see how to apply them in your life. So we have to take a good look at what's in our heart. Then we respond to God the proper way. We don't just do things because it looks good to men or we think that we can, like, we're like the uh, rich young ruler. We think we can earn our way into uh, eternal life. That's not what we do. We have a heart that's towards God. You can't try to do good with the same motivation or that same ungodly motivation that you had before. You have to have a change of heart. It's not enough just to agree with the word. It's not enough to agree that God is faithful. Just to say, yeah, he's faithful. I can believe. I'm not even going to say the word believe. I can agree with that. I can say that that is a fact. But can you say it's truth? Truth is different. Truth never changes. You might be able to mentally accept it, but can you accept it in your heart, in your emotions? Once again, it's not enough to just say these things and, under, and not even have an understanding, but have um, a religious attitude. So religious just means something I do over and over again. That's, that, that's something, religion. You can't just have those things and have a shallow, hollow, fake internal life. That's not what God is looking for. You know, when you, when you think about it, there's so many things we can change and make different than what it actually is in real life. Like I was putting on my makeup today and I was like, man, you can make yourself look almost any way with makeup. I'm not joking. But it's not true. But listen, the heart, your heart, God sees your heart. And it does not matter how much makeup you have. It does not matter how many religious things you do or how many traditions of men you adhere to. If your heart is not right, it's still, let's read it. It is still, let me go back to where it was. A whited sepulcher, which indeed appear beautiful outward, but are within full of dead men's bones and all uncleanness. So, I'm not saying don't take care of yourself, but the thing to do is to make sure that your heart is aligned with the things of God. 
So what I have to do, I can't just agree with it. I can't just say it sounds good. I have to believe it. That means that I'm trusting in it. That I'm continuing to trust in it. I am depending on it. I'm relying on it. And I'm relying on it so much that it starts to overtake my mind. It starts to overtake my thoughts. And not in a spooky way. No, all that craziness is not going to come in and start putting pods and stuff growing out your head. Get, get all of that out. What it is, is that when I talked about earlier, you take out the wrong thought and you put in the right thought. And now you take that one wrong thought out and you put in the right thought. And then it shows you, oh, wait, I also thought this wrong. So I take that wrong, the next wrong thought out, put in the next right thought. So now all of a sudden I'm starting to think differently. So when I start to think differently, guess what? It's going to change the way I react to things. Certain things that may have made me fly off the handle, you still may get mad, but now you can control that anger. Because your mind is different. So your mind is different. Your emotions change. Your thoughts are changing. Now your actions are changing. That's what it means to believe with the heart. It starts in the heart. You're going to have to start internally and let it work its way out. You're not going to just be like, oh, yeah, God, I got it now. I'm walking in this and I got it. You're going to have to start. You're going to have to first make that first step, the initial response, and then continue to make the ongoing responses. Godliness will never lead to evil. So when we are striving, when we are seeking God and seeking to be like him, to be godly, it's never going to produce evil results. Now, on the other hand, if I don't have the right heart and I'm seeking just to do good, my good may end up producing evil results because goodness changes. When, wait, excuse me, the circumstances of what things, what cause something good could change. So, you know, you think about it, I was thinking about, so, some people, and we'll, we'll just go here. Some people will go and they say abortion is wrong. Abortion is wrong. So, they think in order to make sure that wrong is not done, the thing to do is to go up and blow up an abortion clinic. They think that that goodness of not of, of somebody not having abortion is okay. That that blowing up the clinic is okay. That's not okay. The thing about it is, you may have good intentions, but if it doesn't come from a godly heart, it's not going to produce the right results. So, good acts with the wrong heart. Guess what? It equals hypocrisy. So that's what a lot of things we can't preach the gospel. Well, some of us can preach the gospel, but the church at large really can't preach the gospel because we may have had good intentions, but we didn't have God's heart. We were looking at what we thought we could do in our own self instead of saying, God, give us the understanding, give us the power, show us what you want us to do. We decided, oh, well, God says this is wrong, so let's just go fix that. And God said, that's not how it's going to work. And here's the other thing. The standard of godliness never changed. Now, the standard of goodness could change. You could say that something is good, so if somebody is hungry and they steal a loaf of bread, well, stealing is wrong, but they were hungry, so it was okay that they stole the loaf of bread. You see how that works? Godliness never changes. We don't have to look to, to say, is that godly? We can look in the, in the Word and we can see that it's godly. 
When we seek godliness, it will lead to true goodness. All you got to do is seek God, strive after Him, and then the goodness will come. What the, the seed that you plant, the godly seed that you plant, it will bear the fruit that God wants it to bear. It's not, listen, it's, it's the principle of sow and reap. If you put it in, guess what? And you take care of it, it's going to produce the fruit. Go over to 1 John. So as we are, are, are working our way, we're, we're looking at this, we're depending on God to work our work through us, we cannot have fellowship with darkness. We cannot think that it's okay just to hang out with those things that are not of God. Once God shows us that something is wrong, we turn away from it. We repent. We don't like, like you know, like you do a complete turn. You don't like, oh, well, I'm just going to hang out over here a little bit today and then jump over here. No, you don't have fellowship with darkness. So let's go over to um, 1 John chapter 1. We're going to look at verses 5 through 9. This then is the message which we have heard of him and declare unto you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. If we, but if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So we see that God, we've been saying it these last few weeks, God is light. There's no darkness in him. When I am living my life as he called it, I am moving away from darkness. I'm not going towards darkness. When those, when those things come up in my life and I see that they're wrong, I have to go in and say, yes, God, that is darkness in my life. So I can't lie to myself about my condition. I can't lie to other people about my condition. The, the worst deception is self-deception. I can't say, God, I have no sin. It says there, you're a liar if you say that. But you may have sin, but guess what? God, through Jesus Christ, he's faithful to forgive you of those sins. So you can't go in and have excuses to continue to live the way you live. You may see, so God comes in and he reveals some things to you. The light comes in and says, hey, you have been in idolatry in this area. You can't say, well, God, that's what I've been feeling the whole way. God, God exposes it to you. He shows you, okay, you've been in idolatry. This is why. You can't use that reason why, oh, you were in idolatry because that's the way you were raised. You were brought up in a church and that's what they taught and for 40 years that's what you believe. But now God is saying today I'm bringing in the word, I'm bringing in the light, and I'm telling you that that's idolatry. You can't say, but that's what I've always believed, God. God is saying no, 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 no. You need to change. So when God sends the word and you see where you're wrong, you can't use the reason that you were wrong as an excuse to keep staying in darkness. So when God says cut it off, stop doing it, you can't say, well, God, 
I thought that was right because that's what my mama told me. But God said, uh, but I'm God. I'm the creator. I'm the most high God. Go back to those characteristics of God. This is what I'm talking about. Apply the word. So you know who God is. He's the creator. If he tells you something's wrong, even though your mama said it was right, guess what? It's wrong. So you can't go in keeping those excuses, holding on to those things that keep you out of the will of God and keep you in darkness because of whatever reason. Because you did it. It's comfortable. It's what you like. You can't do that. It talks about walking in the light. It talks about if we walk in the light. So what does it mean to walk? Not necessarily the steps that we take to move from place to place, but when we look at it in a bigger view, uh, it means to regulate one's life, conduct one's life. So God sets before us life and death, blessing and cursing. He tells us to choose life. The thing about it is the path for life, the eternal life that we talked about, and the perishing, they are different paths. The path to light is straight and it's narrow. In Matthew chapter 7, we're not going to go there, you can find this. It's straight and it's narrow. Now, to death, to that condemnation, that is wide. It is broad. You can do whatever you want to do in that one. you got a lot of options. Everything goes there. But it's up to you to choose the path. Go over to Matthew chapter 16. So, knowing that one path goes to life and another path goes to destruction, what is it that will keep us choosing the wrong path? Let's look at Matthew chapter 16, verses 24 through 26. Then said Jesus unto his disciples, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it, and whosoever will lose his life for my sake shall find it. For what is a man profited if he shall gain the whole world and lose his soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? So often we think of all the things, when we think about the straight and narrow towards life, and then we think about that broad path, we think that, hey, in the straight and narrow, I can't take all this mess that I want to take. On the broad way, I can do whatever I want to. I can do because that's big. It'll take all this baggage. I can even add some more stuff. We think about what we're giving up. We worry that maybe somebody's going to take advantage of us, that we'll miss out on something or we'll lose something that's dear to us. When you think about that, when you're thinking about those things, think about this. Write this question down. Because when you choose that, when you say, well, I don't want to give up these things, you're choosing to perish. You're choosing that way. You're not believing. What is causing you to keep the light of God out? What is causing you to keep the light of God out? What are you willing to stay in darkness for? So what are you willing to stay in darkness for? And a lot of times, you know, like, like you know, they have a little acronym, FOMO, FOMO, fear of missing out. We fear that we're going to lose something. 
And I'm running out of time, so I'm going to go to Hebrews chapter 2. You can just write this down, and I'm going to read it for you. Hebrews chapter 2, verses 14 and 15. So verse 14 says, For as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, he also himself likewise took part of the same, that through death he might destroy him that had the power of death, that is, the devil. And deliver them who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. So what's keeping us bound to this? It's the fear of death. So what is the fear of death? You're like, well, I don't really fear death. I'm not talking necessarily about physical death. But I'm talking about what am I afraid to lose? What, what happens is Satan uses the fear of death to enslave people to his will to continuing in darkness because people will make the wrong choices out of their intense desire of self-preservation so what is self-preservation that is the commitment at any cost to keep and protect what one has what one is or what they think they are and what they've achieved or what they think they can achieve So it's that self-preservation. I don't want to lose something. I don't want to miss out. God, but I can't give this up because. That's that's the fear of death. So is the fear of death keeping you in darkness? Don't let that happen because guess what? That's been broken through Jesus Christ. you're You're only in that bondage of fear of death because you want to be. You don't have to be anymore. Because we don't have to preserve ourselves. God is the one who sustains us. And we can trust him to do just that. I have to put forth the effort. I have to do my part. I can't do partial. I can't not put the effort and then say, well, I didn't get the results. You are going to have to believe. You are going to have to have faith. You are going to have to trust in the living God. You can't have a hit and miss relationship with God. So what does that mean? I can't do something sometimes and then do not do it the other time. I can't say, God, today I'm going to um, give you 70%, but that's all right because it's still 70%. God's like, no, you need to be for me sold out 100% all the time. You need to be consistent and persistent with your belief. You need to continue. So we're not going to go here, but in James chapter 2, verses 17 through 24, it talks about your faith and how your faith produces works. So I have to have faith. So what does faith mean? A lot of times we hear that and we think it's just this, this kind of wish, this hope, that we, we just think positive thoughts, so I have faith that this is going to happen because I'm thinking positive. No, that's not what that is. It's believe to complete trust. I have, I believe to complete trust that my car is out there and that I have the key and that key is going to let me get in my car and start it. That's the way we are should be with Jesus. That's the way we should be with God. You should have complete trust. Look back at over the weeks when we talked about this. You, we talked about God being omnipresent. He knows. He is all powerful. Now, as you heard that, now what you should do is you can say, oh, he's all of that. I can completely trust in him. I can have faith in him. I can believe God 
is who he says he is. And because I believe that, I will have an action. I can believe that God loves me no matter what everybody else has told me. No matter how much other people have told me I'm nothing or that people hate me or nobody's ever going to love you. They were wrong. God loves you. And he sent his only begotten son so that you could have eternal life by believing on him. When you believe that, you act on that. You say, well, God, you know what? I see that. I believe that. Not, I don't just understand it with my brain, but, but it's something in my heart. I want to change. I want to turn towards what you're saying and not what I used to hear. So now I can trust God and I take that first step because I believe that God wants to redeem me. I believe that I want to walk in his ways. So once you do that, you can realize I don't have to rely on my own works anymore. I can rely on the finished work of Jesus Christ. And I can trust him. So I make that first step and then the next step. I wake up the next morning and something happens and I say, but wait a minute. Somebody says something to me and I'm like, wait, that no, no, that doesn't align with what God says. So now my action goes based on what God says because I believe that. That's how you can break those habits, those unrighteous things in your life that you've been trying to get rid of forever. You hate them. You don't tell anybody else you hate them. But in yourself, you're like, man, I hate doing it. I wish I could stop. Just repent. Turn towards God. Accept the gift that he has given you. And then, by his grace, you're able to overcome what you couldn't overcome before. Step by step, moment by moment, his grace is available for you to activate and use so you can live according to his purpose. So I said, in the objective, we want to make the acceptable initial and ongoing Decision, choice to follow God. Once again, it's not going to happen just one big plot. You're not going to get all of it. You're going to have to take the first step. You're going to have to make the initial decision. You're going to have to trust God initially and, and make an action based on that trust. And then, guess what? There's going to be another action that you have to make. It's a process. Where you are now is not where you're going to end up. Where you used to be is not where you are now. It is a process. So take that first step. You don't have to understand everything. You don't have to have all the details because guess what? You just trust God. You trust God. Remember who he says he was, who he is. You don't have to be fooling around. All you got to say is, God, I trust you. And then you make the step. You have enough information to make that initial step. And maybe you say, well, Sister Castile, I have trusted initially. I'm saved. But then there's more. It's not just be saved and stand still. No, it's make them take the next step. And then you take the next step. And then you have that relationship. And you trust the relationship that you have with God. You continue in fellowship with Him. Letting Him reveal Himself to you. Letting Him reveal His plans to you. His will to you. And then you take the next step. And things just become clearer and clearer. And God gives you what you need. You have to have consistency. You have to be patient. You have to trust God. It's not about you. It's not about who you think you are, but it's who God, what God is telling you to do. Don't worry about what you think are deficiencies or what you think somebody else has told you you can't do or God won't do through you. They don't know. Ask God. 
trust God. Do your part. That is to make that initial decision and to keep making the initial decision to trust God, to follow his commandments, to obey him, to walk in his word. When you, God is always going to do his part. All you need to do is do your part. Amen? This has been a teaching message from Church of the Living Water at Austin. For more information about our ministry, please go to our website at livingwateraustin.net.